Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Here we are midweek, Thanksgiving Eve. And wow, as it has been throughout the year, weather is another big story. As we head into the uh, holiday break here, be careful. I know a lot of people are traveling. Conditions are not the best in a lot of the country, so please be very, very careful. We hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Some uh, trade news to go over with the European Union. And we'll talk USMCA and um, other trade issues for the beef industry. That's coming up. And speaking of trade, Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers will join us. They've released a study. Pork producers have released a study showing if we could get to zero tariffs with China, what that could mean for the U.S. pork industry. We'll talk about that with Nick Giordano. And Jim Baer with the U.S. Apple Association will join us, and we'll talk about that ag labor reform bill and uh, some like it some don't we'll hear jim bear's thoughts on what it would mean and the importance of getting something done on this issue a little bit later on in the program but we're going to start things off today with phil brasher with agripulse communications phil thank you for joining us kind of quiet i guess right now in washington as they break for the holiday but boy when they get back next week uh, there's a lot. They they have kicked the cans so far down that there are a lot of cans piled up for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh yes, yes there are. And I'm not sure how much they can get done in December either. Uh, but yeah, they've uh, got uh, still got uh, budgets to write for all the uh, departments and agencies uh, for the fiscal year that started at the beginning of October. And of course, there's that uh, U.S. Mexico Canada trade agreement as well. Yeah, there are so many heavy lift items uh, budget mm-hmm. trade as you said uh, you know when you look at uh, add on to that the impeachment hearings that are going on as well and as much as they like to talk about they can do more than one thing at once they very seldom show that they can and we'll we'll see if they can but it's a really tight calendar now isn't it yeah it is and it just it just takes in any in any year it takes a lot of time to get some of these things all the details worked out Another thing uh, on the to-do list, uh, the ta- what we call the tax extenders, that's these expired uh, tax incentives. Uh, the one that's particularly important to a lot of agriculture is the dollar-a-gallon uh, tax credit for biodiesel, which has been expired since the end of uh, 2017. That industry is really eager to get that uh, back, at least uh, for this year. Um, and uh, But that's, that's part of the whole package of... Um, tax breaks and uh that's uh that's got to be done as well but we're not uh, sure when that's going to happen whether they can get it done with everything else 
you know, I'm I'm very critical of Congress for their lack of action and putting things off to the very last. But I guess, uh, to be perfectly honest, it's how I approached a lot of schoolwork back in my days. <laughs> if I had a if I had a project that I knew was wasn't due for two months, I'd wind up doing it probably the night before. But that's not a, it wasn't the best way for me to do my homework, and it's not the right way or the best way for them to do uh, you know the work of the country either. Because when they put it off that close, they can't get it all done in time. Yeah, and it's 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 human nature. It's the deals don't get done until they have to get absolutely have to get done. I mean, uh, you know, if you're if you're negotiating on something, uh, you want the you want your, your best leverage is uh, um, you know right at the right at the deadline. So I mean, these things just don't get done until they have to get done, and and some things they can just keep putting off and. Uh, um, so that's what's happened, and that's and that's where we are. It's just it seems to be really intensified this year. On USMCA, and I'm critical of both sides on this, but it, I, I really begin to feel if this doesn't get done this year, I feel like we've been kind of led along uh, with House Democrats saying, "Yeah, we think we can get it, and we want to get it done." And I'm beginning to wonder, did they really want to get it done this year or not? Now maybe they will. Or were they just trying to show or whenever when to believe they could uh, do something other than have impeachment hearings? Well, I think we're actually getting fairly close. Um, and this could, once this comes together, uh, this could go very quickly through uh, through Congress. You know, it does take some time, but it could go uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, there, there was supposed to be a meeting today with... Uh, uh, U.S. Trade Representative uh, Bob Lighthizer and his counterparts from Canada and Mexico to go over a letter or cite letters uh, um, outlining some of the how how the uh, demands made by Democrats are going to be addressed. Um, we're staying on top of that. Whether there's something announced today is another question, but uh, we're getting we're definitely getting getting close. I think part of Part of the reason we know that is because this, this House Democratic Working Group that was uh, meeting with Lighthizer and, uh, uh, on a weekly basis, uh, they've stopped. They've done their work. It's now very much in the hands of, uh, of the uh, Democratic leadership and getting the final, uh, getting the final text and uh, wording that uh, from uh, the White House that they're satisfied with. So. We could see something uh, pretty soon, but you got paperwork and procedural things that have to be done. Those take time. Oh, could yeah. it be maybe? Could yep. it, maybe they vote or agree to it, but it doesn't actually get done till maybe early next year. Well, I think you're you're going to see uh, once once Democrats sign, House Democrats and Nancy Pelosi sign off on this, this is going to be pretty much in writing. So, I mean, could there always be a hitch? Yeah, with uh, with probably be labor um afl cio they but they've been uh, supposedly um staying pretty close to pelosi on this so it's hard to see it's very hard to see pelosi announcing something agreeing to something that's not ironclad just don't think that's going to happen so it's really in her hands right oh absolutely yeah, so we was I I my prediction had been they'll they'll do it right before they leave for Christmas 
and hopefully they can at least do that. But I, I really, it, it's a frustrating situation. But uh, it's yeah. they they put so much now into this last uh, into into December's calendar, and and as I said, these are heavy lift items. These aren't just small items, but big ones that they've got to do. Yeah, the the big thing that may not get done is the uh, spending bill for or spending massive spending omnibus for. Uh, fiscal 2020, which started October 1st, uh, they now have another three weeks in December to get uh, to get that done. Uh, they've, they are making some progress. They have agreed on the spending levels for the individual spending bills. Uh, there are 12 of them that eventually usually get, get tied together. But, uh, for example, one of the bills covers uh, uh, USDA and FDA. They now have those spending levels, spending limits for each one of those bills agreed on, so they can start uh, negotiating and, and uh, uh, agreeing on all of the. Well, maybe they'll pick up the pace uh, when they get program. back. Let's hope so. Right. Maybe they won't have yeah. too much turkey, and they'll they'll be able to, to work quickly when they get back. <laughs> uh, Phil, thanks a lot. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Okay, sure. okay you too. Thanks. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now is Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for joining us. Uh, I think in one of our last uh, conversations we talked about uh, the European Union opening up to more uh, beef and uh, we didn't know how much of that opening would be uh, available to U.S. beef producers but it sounds like maybe uh, a pretty good portion is that do we have some good news there? Yeah we have some very good news there so tomorrow while we're celebrating Thanksgiving one thing that we we should be able to, to continue to celebrate is this market access Finally, being approved by the e, uh, by the European Parliament. Uh, so tomorrow, the EU Parliament is, is scheduled to take a vote, uh, and most likely in support of the deal that was signed by uh, President Trump and the Europeans earlier this summer, where uh, where NCBA was part of that signing ceremony. Under the terms of this deal, which ideally will will kick in at the beginning of the year or soon after. Uh, the United States would have access uh, up to uh, 18,500 metric tons in the first year, and that's duty-free access for beef from non-hormone-treated cattle. That will increase over seven years uh, to 35,000 metric tons. Uh, This is huge. Uh, The EU is one of the most protected markets in the world, and and this uh, this, this essentially will guarantee that the U.S. will have a specific country uh, dedicated access, which means that no other country can come in and steal that quota away from us. 
that was the problem under the old terms that we used to have. We used to have uh, access to a 45,000 metric ton quota. And unfortunately, the Europeans approved everyone under the sun to ship to that, and we uh, we just essentially got squeezed out of what was our, our own quota. The rules that are in place for this are much more strict, and so this should provide much more predictability for our industry. Uh, you know, the Europeans are celebrating this as a, as a, as a, as an end result and a way to ease trade tensions between the U.S. Um, and Europe. Uh, but we see this as a step in the right direction, but not the final destination. We still need to have a comprehensive trade agreement with the Europeans that will open the European market for all U.S. beef and, uh, and, it, and to have terms of trade that are based on science and market factors, based on actual consumer demand and not on government restrictions. So we see this as a great first step. It's something we can certainly celebrate and be thankful for. Uh, and we see this as a shot in the arm for the U.S. beef industry. And, and good news indeed. But as long and as hard as it was to take this first step, it sounds like the next step may even be longer and harder. Well, uh, you know, I think people are pretty frustrated with ongoing negotiations with China. But, uh, you know, China is much easier to negotiate with than the Europeans. Uh, the Europeans uh, do not embrace science and technology in food production. Uh, and they keep trying to put even more restrictive uh, terms of trade into their agreements, not only on science and technology, but on climate change and animal welfare and other things that are they're not really uh, based on internationally accepted sound science. Uh, the U.S. is trying to, to continue to promote objective standards of trade that promote fair and balanced competition. Uh, the, the EU continues to take that protectionist mindset. Because of that, EU consumers suffer for it. The disposable income that European consumers spend on food is is significantly higher than what we have here in America. We really should be thankful that we have a safe and affordable food supply. And a lot of that depends on having access to food all year round that's safe and affordable. And that is something that, that we really should thank God for every day that, that we live in the United States and have the access to safe and affordable food that we have. So it's not a complete deal. I mean, it's not the big deal yet, but it's a significant step, and we're going to get some more beef, it looks like, into the European Union. So that's that's something to, to celebrate and be thankful for as we go into Thanksgiving. Uh, meanwhile, also on a positive note, things are still moving well in Japan, aren't they, uh, for the U.S.-Japan deal? Yeah, that is that is definitely something that we look forward to celebrating at the beginning of the year. Uh, so the lower house in the Japanese legislature has already voted to approve of the trade deal with the United States. The upper chamber is expected to take that up in just a matter of days. So hopefully the beginning of next week or soon after uh, with a January 1st implementation date. This is huge. This is, this is a massive uh, opportunity for the U.S. beef industry, and it couldn't come at a better time. Uh, you know, we were concerned that the longer these negotiations would continue and the the greater the gap would would grow between uh the United States and our competitors because we we still face a 38.5% tariff while the Australians and the Kiwis and a lot of our uh, other competitors are at a much much lower rate than us and will phase down to 9%. On January 1st, we will be on a level playing field. We will have the same tariff rates applied as all those other countries. We know that when we put our product up against anyone else's in this world, that no one can compare in value and in volume of what we're producing. 
no one else can produce the grain-finished, high-quality beef that we produce here in the United States. And so this means uh, a, a lot for us. Uh, Japan is still a very strong market for us, even with that tariff in place. And once that is removed, I think we're really going to see uh, a lot of growth in the Japanese market. Well, good trade news has been hard to come by this year, but uh, we've just had a couple of stories there that are positive. Now, USMCA, uh, I guess it depends on who you listen to and on what day, whether the news is good or not so good. Where do you think we stand as we head into Thanksgiving? Well, you know, uh, what we're seeing today is that the trade ministers from uh, the U.S. and Mexico and Canada are actually meeting here in Washington today just to kind of have a gut check on everything with the, with the USMCA. It also looks like the administration is, is moving forward with the, uh, you know, with the further talks with House Democrats. That's very positive. Uh, Speaker Pelosi said she wants to see a vote on this by the end of the year. And at the same time, you know, she's kind of waffled a little bit. So I think, you know, the votes are there, certainly on the Republican side uh, for the, of the House. Uh, for the Democrats, I think they're close. And I think once the terms of the labor and enforcement provisions of USMCA are are uh, are, are put out there. I think that'll give uh, cover to a lot of those vulnerable Democrats who who need to vote for USMCA. Uh, you know, there's also uh, concern that the impeachment talks could you know just suck all the oxygen out of the room and really make it difficult for this to pass. But I think that they're I think they are literally two different things. I think there's not a there's not a legitimate reason to oppose the USMCA and I think uh, people in both houses on both sides of the aisle they understand that uh, but this is politics and this is a big win for President Trump um, and so the Democrats are going to try to leverage that to get whatever they can out of it and I mean you know Republicans have done the same thing in the past so this is this is just that political silly season that we see uh with some of these negotiations but the big concern is that if these negotiations continue to drag on, if delay tactics are used, then the message could switch from one of support to assigning blame. And that is not what we want, because that would most likely delay the agreement until after the election, and then we would have to start with a new Congress, uh, and you know, and depending on who wins the election, uh, a new administration. So that's, that's the last thing we want to see. We want to see this taken care of now because this is a good agreement. sends a very positive message to the rest of the world. And it's really something that Congress has no legitimate reason to oppose. They need to take this up and pass it now. And that's really where we need everyone out there to engage and make sure their members of Congress are publicly supporting USMCA and asking for a vote in 2019. Well, if it wasn't for politics, it probably would have been done by now. Yeah, well, that's that's the truth, and uh, you know, but this is this is an important message uh, piece, not only because this is a good agreement, because it it sends the message to the rest of the world that the U.S. is open for business, and that we can negotiate uh, market access agreements, trade agreements, whatever you want to call them, in good faith, knowing that uh, Congress uh, is involved and is going to uh, support these at the end of the day, uh, because no matter who's in the White House, they have the the duty and the obligation to uh, to negotiate these trade agreements with the consent of Congress. And that's, that's how our system is set up to expedite these talks, and trade talks can take years. We don't want to see years of negotiation. We want to see, the, we want to see these things move quickly. But we also need uh, to know that there's going to be uh, broad support 
and that all of those priorities of the United States are represented in these deals. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing with USMCA. Hopefully we'll see that with, with future agreements as well. All right, Kent, thank you very much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Yep, thank you, and happy Thanksgiving. Take care. Kent Backus, Director, International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So while we wait on USMCA and China, some positive trade developments with the European Union and with Japan. All right, up next, China. The potential of that market for the U.S. pork industry, if we could get to zero tariffs, we'll talk about it with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council next on AOA. Time now for our market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Ahead of the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday on Thursday, the market's fairly quiet for the grain and oil seed sector an hour into the day. USDA corrected last week's export sales report, stating that the 132,000 metric tons of 2019-2020 corn for delivery to unknown destinations was actually soybeans. That news, on top of lackluster demand, keeping the lid on corn activity, were no more than a fraction away from unchanged. Radar maps Wednesday morning showing snow across Minnesota and Wisconsin after several overnight rains in central and the eastern Corn Belt. The risk of crop losses still at play. An hour into the day, December corn down three quarters of a cent at 366 and three quarters. Soybeans, January, up a quarter of a cent, 884 and a half. Chicago wheat, December, up a penny at 531 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat, March, steady at 512. Kansas City wheat, March, up a penny and three quarters at 443 and a quarter. Livestock at the Merck, firm in cattle futures an hour into the day. February live cattle up 30 cents at 125.97. Feeder cattle, January, up 62 at 142.25, March up 62 at 142.85. We're waiting for widespread cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. Lean hogs, February contract down 32, 67.50, April down 22 at 74.20. Cash hogs being called near steady at midweek. The Dow down 32, crude oil down 15. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's continue talking trade now with Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thanks for joining us. You have some uh, new information showing the potential for U.S. pork producers in China if we can get to zero tariffs. What do the numbers say? Uh, Mike, the numbers are staggering. We knew it was going to be good, but uh, Dr. Hayes of Iowa State has calculated that within 10 years, if we could get duties eliminated, so zero tariffs, um, we would be exporting almost $25 billion, billion, almost $25 billion a year in U.S. pork to China alone. It's just an amazing opportunity. But it all depends on, the, on the, these trade talks, right? And what, what can we get to that zero tariff level? 
Exactly. I mean, we've un- unfortunately gone backwards in China. We were at a um, a billion dollars China Hong Kong combined in 2017, and we always knew that China held unparalleled opportunity. I mean, China back back just a few years ago was importing um, significantly less than 10 percent of its needs, and you know we knew, and ag economists and others had been telling us for years, and folks like Dr. Hayes who traveled multiple times to China, we knew that over time, because the cost of production is so high, um, just because more people um, having more money to spend, demand for pork, um, demand for grain-intensive products going up, we were going to sell more there. But with African swine fever, all that potential that we knew was out there was pulled forward. And with 50% of the production knocked out, it's, it's a sales opportunity for pork producers of a lifetime, and we want to capitalize on it. It's created, African swine fever has created a hole there to fill that uh, will take a lot of protein to fill from this country and other countries. The key is to make sure we get the lion's share of it, isn't it? Well, it is, and under normal economic circumstances, we would. But I think as listeners understand, and I hope pork producers um you know, we're, we're not in normal circumstances with China, and these problems are deep and complex. I mean, on the face of it, it, it makes sense for us to ask for zero tariffs. I mean, with the punitive tariffs, we're up to a combined tariff of 72%, 60 punitive, 12% normal. Now, if we could just get back to the normal WTO MFN rate of 12%, it would be great. Um, but it, it just it, it makes sense to ask for zero, never mind 12, because the Chinese have to manage food price inflation. We've always known that pork is a significant component of the consumer price index in China, and it really, I think, makes sense to just zero out tariffs on pork. What do they need? They need safe, high-quality, affordable pork. Well, who's got it? The United States of America. And what we don't want to have happen is see our producers are in industry prejudiced because they're going first to Brazil and Canada and the European Union and our competitors. So we think it's a win-win for the United States and China. China, we no question, we help China manage food price inflation because we've got large quantities of safe, affordable pork. We help the United States reduce its trade deficit. Within 10 years, pork alone, would knock 6% off the trade deficit with China if we can get in there at zero tariffs. And we add almost 200,000 new jobs in the United States of America. And, of course, parochially, um, we really help U.S. pork producers and then, by extension, rural America. So we're, we're, you know, it's the, the issues with China are deep and complex, but certainly our requests, passes the red face test. We've been talking quite some time with the, about zero tariffs with the administration. The president himself personally understands the potential that China's got. There's no question that Secretary Purdue and Under Secretary McKinney and Ambassador Lighthizer and Ambassador Dowd and the whole trade team are are working hard to get more pork to China. I mean they know that our producers have really 
taken a big hit with trade retaliation the past couple of years, not just in China, but Mexico as well, which actually was a bigger hunk out of the producer's bottom line. Got Mexico turned around. They got Japan done for us, which is a big deal. I know they're pushing hard on China, but as I said, and as you know, these issues are deep and complex. So we're holding our breath here. Talking with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council, and that's that's really it. As it has been throughout, Nick, it seems like the other issues that uh, make this so difficult, but agriculture in the meantime bears uh, the brunt uh, of the pain while these other issues are being worked on. Well, that's the way it always is, Mike, because we're U.S. agriculture is very competitive, and, and the pork industry on average the past 10, 15 years in the U.S. has been the number one exporter in the world. Not every year, but we're, you know, we're really low cost. We're, we're, you know, second to none in terms of safety and quality. So, and, and, you know, so many other sectors of agriculture, extremely competitive. And when there's a, a trade tussle with a trading partner, whether China or Mexico or the EU or whatever, seems like ag is what gets picked on because we ship a lot and it's, it's hard. All right. So what are you seeing and hearing? How, how good do you feel about it? how close we may be to this phase one deal? Are we that close? Well, you know, look, this thing has taken a million twists and turns, and it's very complicated. So I, I think that um, the president and, and the administration are committed to working hard to get the best possible deal for pork and for agriculture. Um, not going to be not going to be easy. Um, we're it's a really big deal for us earlier this year. I mean, as tough as things are currently in the pork industry now, they they got the metal tariff situation fixed in North America. MPPC worked really hard on that. That's a big deal. That was taking twelve dollars off the off the price of every hog sold in the U.S. last year. They got the Japan deal done. We were already losing sales in Japan. That's a huge, that's really big for us. That'll go into effect in January. And I know they're working really hard on China. And we just want to, you know, we've been talking to them for quite a while about getting tariffs ideally zeroed out or at least down to the WTO MFN rate of 12%. And this most recent analysis by Hayes is just to make sure they understand how how much pork we can ship there. And, and one product, pork, shaving 6% off the trade deficit within 10 years is a really big deal. Uh, I've, I've talked with economists about this. If, if we were to get to that and we would really open that door, does that lead to expansion here in the U.S.? And do we have the packing capacity to handle that? What are your thoughts on that? We absolutely we absolutely can handle it from the United States, and um, you know, it, 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 the industry. The look, the, the industry's been in an expansionary mode since the '90s because of international trade. That's where the lion's share of our growth has been. I mean, we have. We, of course, we want to sell more pork in the United States of America, and we want people to eat pork on Thanksgiving, right? We want people to eat pork all the time. But the reality is, we got to mature market here in the United States. Most of our growth has been over overseas and and consequently we've had a lot of expansion in the industry. And we can expand more and we will meet the demand. The United States uh, you know, I, I, not every sector can say this. 
we can say it in the U.S. pork industry. We are the best place in the world to raise hogs and produce pork. We do it the best. We have the safest, highest quality, most affordable pork in the world, and yeah, we can do it. So the Chinese open up that market, zero out the tariffs. Um, we, this industry will continue to expand, continue to be healthy, continue to, to create and generate American jobs. And before we let you go, Nick, uh, your thoughts on where are we with the USMCA and getting it done this year? Well, I, I think we're going to get it done this year. And we've, we've been, MPPC has been pushing hard. It's important to have the certainty for our producers, for our industry that comes with a deal that guarantees zero tariff trade in North America. And just to underscore how important uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement was and how important USMCA will be, we lost $12 off the price of every animal sold last year because of those 20% punitive tariffs in Mexico. And if we didn't have a trade deal with Mexico, Mexico's WTO MFN rate for pork is 20%. So we know how important free trade is in North America. We've been pushing hard for it. There is um, a meeting today with Ambassador Lighthizer, the Mexicans, the Canadians. Um, I think there is a deal. I think it can be done before the end of the year. That's what MPPC is pushing for. Hey, let's hope so. Nick, thank you very much. Have a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Mike. Same to you. Take care. Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel for Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. So, you know, we, USMCA, Nick, Nick thinks it'll get done this year. We heard yesterday from Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. He doesn't think it'll get done this year, maybe early next year. We just wait and see when Congress gets back from this holiday break. Well, also, what will they do with immigration? The Ag Labor Reform Bill. We're going to talk about that next with Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So when Congress comes back after the Thanksgiving break, they got a lot to do. Of course, impeachment hearings, that's still going to be going on. They've, they need to get spending bills done. We're seeing, we'll see what they can do with tax extenders. Of course, USMCA, as we've been talking about. But also on their plate, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. 
We're going to talk about that now with Jim Baer. He's president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know that your group uh, and many others, hundreds of other ag groups, are supporting this bill, but we know there are also some that have raised concerns about it. Uh, some have raised the e-verify part of it as a concern. That amnesty word has been thrown into the mix, and when, usually when that gets uh, thrown into the discussion, that usually blows things up and sets things back. Uh, so uh, let's talk about this act. First of all, why you think it would be good for agriculture, and in your case, the apple industry. Well, happy Thanksgiving, Mike. It's good to be with you again. Um, the bill wouldn't be good, would be good not just for apple growers, but for all farmers who depend on immigrant labor to bring Americans healthy and affordable food. I think it's important to uh, talk about what it would do and what the bill would not do. First of all, it is not amnesty for illegals. Uh, let's get that out of the way. What it is is a way to stabilize a, a legal and reliable workforce for agriculture. Uh, it's consistent with the strong merit-based immigration system that President Trump wants, and it includes a strong biometric security component that you verify that you mentioned that would ensure ag workers are who they say they are. So I mentioned whenever... Every time we seem to get into this discussion, somebody brings up amnesty, and then everything kind of falls apart. So I think your point is is one that has to be stressed here, that it's not amnesty, and, and differentiate here uh, why it's not. And then what about the E-Verify issue? Farm Bureau has, had, uh, has raised concerns about that. What do you say about that? Well, the bill's not perfect. Uh, no bill is. It is a compromise, and that's why the bill has already attracted more than 50 co-sponsors, roughly half Democrats and Republicans. And let's just be honest, that's amazing right now. You already mentioned impeachment hearings and all the other things going on. And in this superheated political environment here in D.C. right now, making progress on anything is just about impossible. So the fact that we've got a really good uh, mix of Democrats and Republicans on this bill, including some very conservative Republicans from farm states, uh, I think is great. Uh, and for those people who talk want to talk about amnesty, uh, I would respond by saying ignoring the current situation won't improve anything. Agriculture needs the workers. Many of them are here already, so let's get them right with the law and remove the jeopardy that's hanging over farmers' heads. The way we do that is uh, for those people to come out of the shadows, they'll pay a hefty thousand dollar fine and then they can continue working in agriculture uh on a legal basis and uh you know that's just the the reality let's get it done and and get agriculture back to doing what we do best if we wait for a perfect bill we're going to wait a long time right there probably hasn't been any Uh, there is no such thing and and uh last year with when the republicans controlled both the house the senate and the white house uh they couldn't get it done and so the fact that Republicans are now reaching across the aisle and working with Democrats, uh, I think, is remarkable. Uh, we got a long ways to go, but the bill has passed out of the Judiciary Committee, and now will go to the House floor, hopefully uh, in one of the remaining few legislative days Congress has this year. And then we can get to work in the Senate, get a companion bill, and get the thing to the President's desk for his signature. But it's going to be tough here in December because, as we've talked about, all the items, all the big heavy ticket items, heavy lift items, they've pushed into December now. 
Yeah, we're running out of time, and of, of equal importance to agriculture is passing the USMCA free trade agreement. That's a that's a must do thing, and hopefully that'll get done here in the next couple of days. But it's uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting yet to be done. So anybody that feels uh, as strongly about this as we do ought to contact their representatives and tell them to get on this bill, HR five zero three eight. If you can get it through the House, do you think you have the votes in the Senate? We've got. Republican senators lined up, ready to go, who want to pick up and uh, take a companion bill to their uh, side of, the, of Capitol Hill. And so we're confident that we can get something moving. And hopefully for those uh, small components of this bill that are, uh, are less than perfect, maybe we can fix them in the, in the compromise and uh, you know, get it done. But it's too important not to get this thing done. Agriculture needs to have the reliability of a stable workforce. I know your listeners... Uh, certainly understand that agriculture is working on razor thin or even negative margins right now. So we can't afford anything that's, you know, adding more jeopardy, adding more risk to agriculture, like having uh, insufficient labor. And your industry in particular, let's just look at the apple industry. Uh, to explain again what, what your industry is facing and why this bill is so important to address that issue. Well, you and I have talked about this before, Mike. I, I know family farmers that tell me that they had to leave $100,000 worth of apples or more on the trees just because they couldn't find workers to harvest them. And those apples are just left to rot. And that's, you know, that's just, uh, that's offensive to all of us that are in agriculture. And so, uh, you know, finding people who want to live in remote, sometimes remote areas of the United States and live in small farm towns. And for your listeners, that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing, but it's, not always easy to attract workers to come to some of these places and do this work. And and uh, you know, Americans born here, let's be let's be honest and face the reality. Most of them don't want to work in either harvesting apples or working in a, on a dairy farm or hog confinement or other kind of uh, livestock operation, which has never had a legal visa program for workers and this bill that should be said that's another feature of it is it would for the first time ever include uh, a path for legal ag workers in year-round uh, mm-hmm. parts of the agriculture industry like dairy and uh, confined animal operations well hopefully they can get this done we'll see jim thank you very much have a very happy thanksgiving and to you too mike thanks Take care. Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. That does it for today. We will have a program for you tomorrow. Hope you can fit us into your holiday schedule. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions.